Hello, and welcome to a pre-credit teaser to the Nymon Be Praised. It is just Jack here at the moment. Um, so, uh, you're about to listen to our discussion on Series 7B, uh, and because Joe and I had so much to say about it, we have decided to split this particular discussion into two halves. Well, not quite halves. We In this episode, we are discussing the episodes Belzus and John all the way through to Journey to the Central of the TARDIS, and then the second part, which will be released fairly soon, we'll discuss Crimson Horror through to the name of the Doctor and our quick wrap-up of our feelings on the series as a whole. So the bulk of this series discussion will be here, and then the wrap-up will be in the second part. Um, as you'll probably see why in just a little bit, because we had so much to say, to stitch the whole discussion together uh, would be would result in a three and a half hour podcast. So for the sake for so for the sake of all of you, we have split it into two halves. So if you want to skip ahead, feel free to. If you don't and just want to listen to the whole thing, go right ahead. Cue music. the nine on be praised i'm jack and i'm joe and i'm gonna sit down because i'm currently walking around my room like i'm live streaming um i guess uh, oh uh like a a sale in my house we're in the, an episode of jack's blair witch project my god there's a ghostly ghoul quick get out of there i yeah how are you joe i'm really really well i want to apologize from the off for being as naked as i am because it's really warm. We had uh, a, a, a UK heat wave, let's not say an Australian one, um, mm -hmm. and my house is bloody hot. So I'm in a vest, get over it. Okay, back to you, Jack. I I, I am nowhere near as uh, scorching. We are just in the first few days of spring at the moment. You are scorching. Um... You are scorching, <laughs> aren't mate? I, <laughs> I, yeah, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> Oh, sorry. The, the the flowers are blooming. Uh, which, uh, it's starting to get a little bit warmer. We're getting slightly longer. You know, it, the dark is in retreat. Yeah. Um, are you halfway so again, out of the dark? <laughs> yes, uh, Abigail is singing by my window every night. Oh my god! Um, I, what's that song? I can't remember. Um, Silence it, is all yeah. you need. Is it that one? Yeah. Yeah, 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 I've got, I've got, um, uh, what's her name? Um, something Jenkins. What's her name? Catherine. Catherine. I've got Catherine Jenkins and the BBC National Orchestra outside my mm. window every day. That's a beautiful song, actually. And the way that's all filmed, all going around there on the street. Oh, my God. It's almost enough to convince you that's a good episode. Uh, do you know what? I, for a brief moment, I was like, could it be a change of heart? No. <laughs> he really is halfway out the oh, dark. I've got to confess something to you, actually. So oh, yeah, recently, I've done an Ascension of the Cybermen Timeless Children commentary, yeah? Mm -hmm. And I've declared Timeless Children a truly terrible episode of television on it. Ooh, 
Ooh, that is a. But let me get. Wait, did you say it was a good episode of Doctor Who? I did. I, I knew did. it. I knew there was a little yeah. cheat in here somewhere. Literally every like every piss poor decision you can make. Too much exposition. Um, not enough action. A terrible sequence at an end with someone self-sacrificing themselves. Um, mm-hmm. you know all the all everything. But the most dramatic thing that happened was the Jejun coming in the TARDIS at the end. And I was like, oh, oh my god, you know. Wow, what a great episode that will be. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's really good because I get in a massive row with somebody about all that exposition in the middle. <laughs> and he seems to, well, it was Fraser, you know, Fraser that came on and did the Dominators. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he seems to think that, um, that it's all right that the doctor's banged up and literally lectured for half an hour, like a PowerPoint oh. presentation. And I was like, well, no, 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 show, don't tell. That is one of the basic rules of drama. But now you weren't having it. Wow, I did you, but you like the story. I find it weird that you're the one who's going. Wait, no, that doesn't work. Well, do you know, I think it is very ambitious. Uh, I don't know if it completely succeeds, but it's very ambitious. Jack, what are we talking about today? I oh, damn it, you know, I, I I thought I was gonna do that segue. I was like, he's setting me up, he's setting me up, and then you snapped it away from me. I, uh, we are here, instead of spending presumably three hours talking about, three more hours talking about the Timeless Children, we are in fact here to spend three hours talking about Series 7B. What's that I can hear in the ether? Can you hear that? Um, Rest is it the sound of now, my warrior? Oh. <laughs> I, I thought, I thought it was going to be, is that the sound of a, of a brand new intro that didn't need to be made i i would really like to ask you a question straight off the bat Mm -hmm. if i may did Mm -hmm. you notice a difference between 7a and 7b um i mean yes i mean there is a substantial it's a substantial change but i feel like you're getting at something a bit more specific here in terms of quality i was talking about Oh, I see. Ah, uh, there we go. There's the chestnut. Uh, chestnut. There's the. There's the kicker. Um, yes, I would say so. I think. I think series seven B is more for me personally more interesting, but it veers off in a lot more directions, and um, uh, whereas series seven A is a lot, on the whole, is a lot steadier yeah. and a lot less. Uh, and is a lot less um, uh, ambitious, but it is a, a lot more consistent in tone. It's a lot more consistent in quality and character. It's a lot more assured, I think. I think mm. season seven A knows it's pretty good, whereas season seven B, mm. I don't know. I don't know if anyone even knew what they were doing in season seven B. It's, it's well. I mean, we'll get into that as we talk about each episode. Um, mm-hmm. piece at a time. I know you've got a couple here that you quite like. Yeah, I um, am fond. Of, I feel like I can hear you like putting ammunition in a gun as I start going through. Hmm, these are the ones I like. Oh, the scope's trained on it. I am fond of Bells. I, I uh, am fond of Bells St. John. Um, Oh, the dust can kill me any minute now. Um, I was very pleasantly surprised by Hyde. Oh. Um, uh, 
even although the reasons why it, I, I like it are different probably from the ones it intended. Um, uh, I have a fondness for it at most maybe half of the Crimson Horror. Mm -hmm. um, and I really quite like the, the, uh, the name of the Doctor. Um, and then everything in between is a bit, is a little bit more... Mm. A little bit more? Mm. Are you kidding mm. me? Uh, well, okay, well, uh, on my blog, yeah, I, I think I rated the episodes uh, Bell St. John a 5, Rings of Acton a 7, Cold War a 5, um, Hyde an 8, uh, Journey to Center of Tarlis a 3, Crimson Horror a 7, Nightmare in Silver a 2, and hmm. the name of the Doctor a 6. I would still rate the Rings of Acton a 7. Pretty much every other episode will probably lose a point or two rewatching. Wow. Wow. I, I think it is consistently the the worst run of episodes in the new series. Um, do you think it does certainly feel like you know matt smith and nightmare in silver is driving the car when he only has control of one hand and he's got both hands on the steering wheel and stuff no let's turn this way no let's turn that one i feel like there's an entire podcast in nightmare in silver there's so much to unpick in that episode see this is what i've been feeling about these these podcasts where we just do all we just barrel through all these episodes and i'm just kind of like is this does this mean we can never talk about these episodes ever again no not at all not at all and we can obviously we can expand on them as well because i think uh, something like bell st john and things like that is worth picking apart extensively um mm -hmm. but um uh, you know we're doing little vignettes um for the purposes of this and the overall piece is going to be about six hours long so we can't say we yeah. scrimped on series seven yeah. yeah yeah snapshots long snapshots exactly that sounds weird Oh, can I just uh, say something hugely amusing as well before we go in? If if I don't laugh, you're sacked. Okay, you're a little bit blurry. You need your mic. Your, your sound. Uh, oh, I, is that better? A, a little bit. It's Is it on? <laughs> uh, it, sh it should be. Yeah, that's a lot better. That's a lot better. Um, um, so, um, it has been known that uh, the to uh, someone commented once that uh, i i do um talk over you on the odd occasion yeah mm -hmm. um and so uh musingly when i put this out on youtube last week um the zoom recording prioritized one mic <laughs> Was it, was it, was it moi? It was you. Every time you're talking and I'm talking over you, I can't be heard. Only you can be heard. <laughs> and I figured that was the most poetic justice, like technology poetic justice I've ever heard of. Yeah, it's it's like the t technology knows who's got the better opinion. <laughs> I don't mean that. We'll mean see. That. We'll see. Yeah, when you tried maybe, to do maybe, a commentary maybe. on your own, you remember, you said to me you struggled. Yeah, that's true. I Maybe it's in this episode that technology is going to start muffling me out. I very much it sounds like it already has. Well, no, I very much doubt it. But I just thought it was very funny. Every time I interrupt you, <laughs> I can't be hurt. <laughs> um, 
I'm going to throw your question right back at you. So you said Series 7B was in fact worse this time when you watched it? Yeah, very much so. Very much so. In fact, I, I got to Nightmare and Silver. So I watched it all through twice over two weeks. That's how committed I am to this podcast. And, wow. Thank you. And then I got to Nightmare and Silver. And I got to the bit where Angie's at the door going, I'm bored. Clara, she's stupid. I just grabbed the remote and went, nope, and just turned it off. And I refused to watch mm. any more. It was so terrible. Nightmare and Silver and Journey to Center of the Tardis was. I actually think it was worse than Nightmare and Silver, um, in a oh, lot wow. of ways. Um, so yeah, I would say I would say in terms of uh, like consecutive episodes going out of lackluster quality. Why though? What? Why? Is it now? We know Stephen Moffat struggled this year, don't we? Yeah, because he had. Sherlock series three and the uh, the Day of the Doctor as well, and I think and I think there was all kinds of things happening behind the scenes which I I don't think we really know. There was a whole thing with Carol Skinner leaving as producer, mm-hmm. um, and I, there was I've heard all sorts about that, you know. I'm, sh- I'm sure. Um, Apparently, there also... was a very close relationship at one point, and then she was erased from Doctor Who. Yeah, that's uh, so. So the famous um, uh, BBC. Uh, I was at a party or something that he got mm. drunk and apparently, apparently got drunk and shouted that. Um, but I, I feel like a lot of that is unverified. But um, certainly, um, I remember the uh, hearing that earlier drafts of the stories had um, Victorian Clara. Mm as the companion and then it was decided that wasn't working and they basically they basically went back and did uh did a redo on the companion we were and robbed went, we were robbed yeah i i i have a feeling that your um uh curmudgeonly attitude towards Farah will be particularly apparent in this episode uh, no, no i just think that the victorian clara is a better character more well, we talked about her a lot in the last episode and mm-hmm. just how engaging and just how fun she was and how kind of fully formed she was mm-hmm. we get half a season with the new clara here i don't have a fucking clue who she is by the end of it i just don't all i know is she's a, a high concept idea but that's about it oh well, and oh and she was i don't know what a leaf blew down and gave birth to her or something like that i don't know quite what occurred there yeah I oh and that leaf did somehow that leaf was in the name of the doctor as well, so maybe that was an incarnation of Clara scattered along his dark his dark street. The most case, important case. leaf in human history. <laughs> well, speaking of high concepts, mm. shall we segue into um, the bells of St John? Let's do that. I have a feeling this is where you and I will disagree the most. Okay, okay. Um, who I, I'm a little nervous. Who wants to start? I'll let you start. No, 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 you go first. Go on. Because I think you're going to be more positive than me. Uh, so The Bells of St. John is a story <laughs> I have uh, had a real soft spot for. Um, and, you know, I'm quite aware that it's a story that is made out of uh, components that we've seen before. 
Um, so the plot is, you know, basically a bit of a retread of um uh the uh, the idiot's lantern in some respects hmm. um and there I, I i can't remember other bits and bobs off the top of my head but it, it you know there's not a lot of new surprises in terms of the sci-fi there's not uh, and the plotting um but i have always really enjoyed the script i think the dialogue is incredibly fun and funny uh in a way that that sometimes when Stephen Moffat is trying to be a bit too funny and a bit too clever, um, it becomes a bit of, it, it announces itself and it, it becomes a bit overbearing. Whereas here, I think this is a genuinely funny script and a very f- fun script without ever feeling too try hard. And I think it has a real breezy confidence to it. It has, it's filled with big, really? big. You think this, yeah. has, you think this episode has confidence? I think so. I think you're going to hit you with a question for each episode. And my question for the Bell St. John was going to be, why has Doctor Who lost its confidence? <laughs> I don't think it has. Not in this story, I don't think. Or at least not in terms of how it segues between the, the big action set pieces it's clearly going for. Because the thing I remember that this story trying uh, in interviews, Moffat was kind of saying, uh, he wanted this to be Doctor Who does Skyfall, and obviously it doesn't. It doesn't quite achieve that. It doesn't but, quite um, achieve that. Okay, okay, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Um, but I. But I. I. I, it, I, I think it has a like some of its big set pieces really do hold up. Like um, the the plane scene in particular, oh, I think is okay. really good. Can I? Sorry to interrupt you. Um, the plane scene, if you took that out of the Bells of St. John, yeah, uh, it is it is like one of those perfect Doctor Who scenes. Um, and it's mm-hmm. a terrific set piece on its own. And I was having to introduce um, an old friend to the concept of Doctor Who. And I was like, how the hell do I introduce them to the concept of the TARDIS? Like, they were asking questions about Doctor Who, but they knew nothing at all. They weren't English. Mm-hmm. So they knew nothing about the the core concepts of the show. So I I sent them a the YouTube clip of Clara on the street and then going into the TARDIS in that one big take with the cup and then going onto the plane and then them landing the plane. And I said, this is what it does. It gets like it's literally bigger on the inside than the out because uh, he does it. He basically explains the TARDIS while they're waltzing around it. Um, yeah. And then, it, and then it takes you straight into the plane. So you're on the street and then you're on the plane. So it gives you a good idea that it moved in space, blah, blah. And um, on the back of that, that person watched series one of the new series just after seeing that one clip. Wow. Yeah. And, and you know, I think you can quite rightly scratch at some of the other scenes. Like, you know, uh, the, the one of the other big action set pieces that come to mind is the the bike going up the shard scene, which doesn't come across nearly as well. But as far as its major set piece with the plane goes, that one comes across beautifully and really holds up. I mean, you can kind of see where they do the cut now. Um, Yeah, yeah, it's just before they go out of the door again, isn't it? Yeah, it's when um, uh, Matt Smith kind of twists Clara around. It's the one bit where he's in front of the camera, like the whole camera is covered up by him. And that's where mm. they make the cut there. I mean, but it's yeah, still, and you it's can, still 
like masterfully directed that. Yeah, yeah, and it, it's a nice bit, and it's also I think one of the things you see in in the Moffat era, which is quite fun, is that he finds fun ways of doing the TARDIS intro, introducing the TARDIS scene. Mm. So you have oh, hang on the one hang on though. She calls it a snog box in this, and I wanted to rip her face off when she said that. <laughs> I think once you get past that, though, um, you know, you have, uh, you, you're doing the whole bigger on the inside um, sort of thing whilst they're in the middle of uh, an action adventure. Yeah. So there's no time to, so it, it, it's, it, it's when the doctor kind of goes, it's a short hop. We don't have time to explain this, that you just have to see it. And that's great. I would say in Rose, you know, that's in the middle of an action set piece where she's introduced to the TARDIS. And I would say that that is a better scene as well. Because I just love, I just love the, the, when she goes in, it comes right up on her face. So we don't see what she's seeing. And then she slams Mm. the door shut. We see her going around it. It's kind of just as fun, but it's just got it's got more energy more pizzazz it's it feels more fun and that's what i'm talking about with this episode is is that no i'm gonna let you finish i'll i'll go back to this go on okay um well i was just gonna very quickly say that i you know i think it's very dynamic introductions of the TARDIS, and i think moffat does that a lot with his introductions like amy doesn't really Amy gets a really subdued one mm. um clara victorian clara obviously gets the it's smaller on the outside, which is gorgeous. You then get you get it reintroduced to her again here in Bells of St. John. And then you get in the pilot, you get kind of uh, Bill's kind of staggered kind of, this is a like a knock through. This is a kitchen. This is a lift. Doctor, it's big. And it, the, the joke there is that it's kind of on the opposite end of the spectrum for, because, um, uh, you know, in Bells of St. John, it's all hyper condensed. Whereas the joke in the pilot is that it's dragged out for so long. Um, but yeah, the, with the rest of the pilot, uh, with the rest of the Bells of St. John, I think Miss Kislet is a really fun villain who gets some really fun lines. Um, I actually quite like Clara's introduction in the story. I I can see Joe is pulling a face like he's sucking a lemon. Um, but um, so I like I like Clara a lot in the story. I think she gets a fun introduction. Um, and uh, yeah, and I, I don't know. I just really like it. Anyway, I've spoken enough. Joe, kill me. I'm not going to kill you. I, I just, okay, I think I enjoyed this more when I first watched it and I thought it was average then. Um, mm-hmm. So this, this I, oh, it just felt so mundane, this. It, the core concept of the Bells of St. John is evil Wi-Fi. Like, that mm-hmm. is the most staggeringly fun idea I could imagine. And I could imagine someone like Ross T. Davis taking hold of this and making it, like, the fucking clappers. It would work a treat. It would be really funny. It would be outrageously camp. There'd be crazy stuff happening. Um, it would be like, you know, people using fat pills in Partners in Crime. It would be like... Um, Oh, what other crazy shit did he do? It would be like, well, the, you know, the way you use technology in years and years with the sex robots and things like that. It would be yeah. outrageously fun. What do we get in this? Oh, people with spoon heads where the head turns round. That is yeah. so boring. Like, and I, th- I, I do kind of agree. I think the Wi-Fi threat, I think it's around this, because, you know, I think beforehand, Moffat obviously was quite well known for making 
kind of conceptual monsters and mm -hmm. monsters based around rules. But a lot of his, he also, you know, for a time was quite, he had a black mirror quality with the way he portrayed technology. Um, you know, the obvious example is um, with kind of, with the whole um, uh, uh, world in uh, Silence in the Library. Mm -hmm. um, uh, that whole that that's still scary to this day. Whereas by the time you get to the Bells of Saint John, it all feels a little worn out. Well, you kind um, of you click on the the Wi-Fi symbol, and then what your face is put into a, a, a screen, and and you're downloaded into a spoonhead. Or I I didn't even really understand what was going on. See, the thing I, I see when, when you were talking about that, the thing I couldn't get over is like, how, why is Clara just clicking on this random Wi-Fi thing? Yeah. Why doesn't she just... Anyway, but I, what I was trying you to know say she does. was... Um... I'm sorry. You know she, she phones up the person, yeah, right? The 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 the, 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 what, the the internet people, yeah? And she goes, why haven't I got the internet? Like, if, if I was a person taking those calls and someone phoned me up with a fucking stupid question like that, I'll be like, oh, 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 I'm sorry. So please continue. <laughs> I I think what I was really going to say is that I think this story looks, uh, the whole idea of evil Wi-Fi and this episode's conception of evil Wi-Fi does look a little dated in 2021 when we've had all these kind of, you know, 5G conspiracy theories. Uh, and um, the the idea that you're just kind of downloaded into the Wi-Fi feel it feels its age. But okay, the idea of doing reality TV shows on Satellite Five in Bad Wolf looks insanely dated now, but it's still an incredibly fun idea. It's still incredibly fun to watch. What's fun about this? Uh, as in the Wi-Fi stuff? Yeah, it's just it's... I. I... I do think the, the, the teaser is quite fun when you pan out and you see all those people trapped. Yeah, but that, that's, that's the point, though. It's enticingly good. And then nothing's done with mm -hmm. it after that. Uh, it's, we're far more invested in Clara and the mystery of Clara than the story itself. And that's fine. But don't, don't promise me the moon and then deliver Grimsby. You know, like, <laughs> oh, sorry, people of Grimsby. <laughs> As in the McDonald's character? No, it's a place in England. Oh, okay. Not cool. not known for uh, for being a tourist destination spot. I see. I see. Now you said about Miss um, Kislet, yeah, in this. Mm -hmm. Celia Imry is one of my favorite actresses. Um, her work with Victoria Wood on, as seen on TV, is some of the funniest, um, that is one of the, that some of the funniest comic performances you're ever gonna see in a sketch show. She's astonishing. Have you ever seen um, Acorn Antiques? Uh, I don't think I have, no. So it's basically a, a piss take of dreadful, uh, like old, um, like dramas but you know the low budget ones where the scenery wobbles outside the window and, and they ba it's basically the play that goes wrong but a tv production where everything's going wrong and all the performances right. are ham people get up too fast and whack their heads into the camera and celia emery plays like the um the head of the antiques place 
where mm-hmm. all these soap operatic dramas happen. Um, long lost sons and daughters. She gets married to an Arab prince. You know, all these crazy things. Happen. She's sublimely good. Having her in Doctor Who is delightful. And I think she gets one scene where she really gets to like show what she's made of. And that's right mm-hmm. at the end where, and it's a chilling idea, where the great intelligence leaves her and you realise that she was taken as a child. And she's like, mm-hmm. where's my mummy and daddy? It's really scary. And, and it really made me sit up at the end of the episode. But apart from that, she's just sort of playing a very standard Doctor Who villainess without without no kind of defining features, I don't think. Yeah. And like like um, somebody like um Sarah Lancashire in Partners in Crime, I know I've referenced that a couple of times now. Um that was like super memorable, I thought. Um and she and she got to have a lot mm-hmm. of fun with that role. Whereas this this is very much Doctor Who villain by numbers. She's got an iPad, she's mm-hmm. she she fires off a few, you know, menacing lines um there's a confrontation a confrontation scene um at the end between her and the doctor but none of it sings none of it none of it's zingy enough none of it's got much energy to it it's it just felt really flat to me i i i think i get that and certainly i don't think she's being asked to do anything more than be the doctor who villain of the week um but I do think, you know, it is, you know, Doctor Who villain of the week played by uh, Celia Imri. Uh, so it's still, and she, I think she does get some really fun lines. You know, she gets, uh, I think my, her, my favorite one of hers is, uh, what's that line she gets where she's like, uh, uh, you know, uh, you know, he's about to go on, on holiday, kill him when he gets back. Let's, we're not unreasonable. Um, so I, 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 I think I get that. Um, See, that, that because that, that was funny with you saying it. You should have played that part. <laughs> oh, I, I am not. I'm. I. I could not do justice to a part you that belongs to her. Be a brilliant Doctor Who villain. Don't even pretend you wouldn't. <laughs> did you? Did you ever listen to her? To her in Gallery of Ghouls. I did. Yeah, I did. Uh, it, yeah, it, she was... it wasn't a. It wasn't the best story, was it? But she was really good. Yeah, she. She got to do a very big comedy accent i seem to recall but no i i take your point but i i i think she br- brings the stuff that's needed definitely towards the end as you sort of say uh when she shows has a little showdown with matt smith and i i think there's a lot of fun with her kind of like hacking into people but yeah i kind of take your point in that it's a bit of, it's a little bit of a waste you'd lose that twist at the end but i almost would like her to have played it as the child because that would have been really discordant and really sinister. And you'd have no idea why this adult is playing a scene like a child. But I, I reckon Celia Emery is a strong enough actress that she could have pulled that off. Oh, as in you completely cut out the great intelligence? No, 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 no. no. That she, the great intelligence is in her, but obviously you went into her as a child. She's matured as a person, but her mind oh, is still a child. So she's yeah, playing yeah, yeah. the role like a yeah, it'd be really weird and, and scary mm. and, and quirky, but I don't know she could. Celia Emery's good enough; she could make that work. I think one of the things I noticed um, watching this so close to the Snowmen is that um, in the Snowmen, when the Great Intelligence relinquishes control of Simeon, it reduces him to a child. 
you know, uh, mm. back to when he first heard the, the Snowman, and they and it's done and it's done here as well um, with Miss Kislet. But it's far that the line she gets about like, uh, "Where's Mummy and Daddy?" They said they'd only be gone for five minutes. You're like, ooh. You um, had to mention Richard E. Grant, didn't you? You give me more ammo. Yeah, I. You know what? Uh, anyway, um, let's. Why don't we talk about Clara Oswald? Who the hell is she? Like who? Who? Like what on earth do we learn about her? Martha Jones. I knew she was in five minutes. I knew who all her family was. I knew all their dynamics in the pre-title sequence of uh, Smith and Jones, or the just after title sequence of Smith and Jones. Donna Noble. Mm-hmm. By the end of Runaway Bride, I absolutely knew who that character was, inside out and back to front. Who the hell is Clara Oswald? Um, well, I think uh, she is very much introduced as the same as a variation of the Victorian counterpart specifically. Think? I think only her job. Yeah, yeah. Her job, but not her character. No, maybe not. But I, I think there because different facets of her have been introduced beforehand, there is kind of this feeling of well we do because we uh, we're introducing jenna jenna coleman for the third time uh we don't need to oh, there are some that we can have a shorthand with some bits of her introduction which i suppose for you came across as thinly sketched well, it's just it's it's i think it's a fatally flawed premise because the clara or what's name oswin in the asylum of the daleks mm-hmm. that was intriguing um the clara in the snowman she was really fun to have the third iteration of this character introduced here so sketchily kind of drawn in um and but I, all i got from her was yeah was like peppy companion material that was it that that was the, but I, did, I didn't i didn't really learn anything about her life i didn't really understand why she would want to go with the doctor i i I just got nothing. It was she was she was opaque, and mm. that's that's uh, a fatal flaw this half of the season because we don't really learn much about her <clears throat> apart from in Act Ten, um, mm-hmm. and we don't. Really... I, I I think there are other episodes we learn things about her, but it is I one thing I became conscious of as we were as I was watching this run of stories were there were some episodes where they it felt like they had a better understanding of the character and then other episodes like cold war which we'll get through where it's just it's just a companion yeah but then uh, i think that's basically mark mark is just writes a companion doesn't it he? he did the same mm-hmm. thing with bill in um sleep the more no not sleep the more what am i thinking of um empress of mars empress of mars yeah and he does the same thing again with clara and sleep the more sorry um okay uh I did like, oh no, wait, that was in the snowman. Man, I've got to find something I liked about this episode. Um, I I <laughs> think, uh, well, actually, this, I might spin this off in a slightly different direction. Um, but <clears> since <throat> this is episode one, maybe it's a good time to talk about it. Matt Smith and Jenna Coleman. No. No? <laughs> That's my answer. I don't buy it. I bought it in the snowman. You know I did, but we talked about that, and I thought their chemistry was sublime. That something's changed. But I, I don't know if, if um, Jenna Coleman is just unsure about this iteration of Clara, 
But you compare this to the chemistry between Matt Smith and Karen Gillan in Series 7A, which I know that's not fair because they've had two and a half years to work on that, but they are worlds apart. I don't think Matt Smith quite knows how to play the role next to her either, and I think that continues throughout the season. I I don't think I agree. I think they have pretty good chemistry together. Really? Uh, yeah, yeah. Well, one thing that I was really aware of uh, in this season is that, because, um, you know, I mostly watch Jenna Coleman opposite Peter Capaldi. Mm. Um, now, now, and I, now and I, there's chemistry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I do think that's where Jenna Coleman is at her best. Mm. Um, but I, I, I think when I was watching this, I was very conscious of that she was initially cast opposite Matt Smith. Uh, and that was, uh, she was being cast opposite him specifically as the leading man. Mm -hmm. uh, and I can kind and I can kind of see the quality. I rediscovered, I think the qualities that she brings as an actor uh, that made her initially such a good fit for Matt Smith, which is that I think she has she navigates dialogue in a way very similar to him um they I said think... that didn't they that they had a audition together and moffitt gave them very quick comic dialogue um mm -hmm. and uh, he could see that they had like a similar pacing to the you know they were quick fire back and forth like a a really fast game of tennis and that that mm -hmm. was essentially why she was cast you like that though. You like that kind of back and forth, um, like quick wit, and I find it infuriating. I well, yeah. I, for me, it's it's joyful. Like the scene, um, there is a loads of scenes of that in the Bells of St John, which I particularly love, where it's really on display in terms of the dialogue. But people don't uh, talk like that. People don't talk with that back and forth, fast wit. I, but also, I don't think it's always a requirement for Doctor Who to be hyper-realistic dialogue-wise if the dialogue itself is good. Well, I think our in with the new series is through the eyes of the companion. And if the companion is um, very basically characterised, um, is presented as a mystery on purpose... And doesn't sound like a normal human being talking. What have you got? I, I mean, I, maybe I have a slight. You know, I, I, I've done a lot of plays where people don't talk in realist. You know, shake. You, you perform Shakespeare today, and nobody sp speaks like Shakespeare. I'm not comparing Stephen Moffat to Shakespeare before anybody Please makes don't. any comparisons. <laughs> Um, but, but I think, nobody's... I think, do you not think Rusty Davis has done this? Rusty Davis kept introducing characters that we can kind of buy into as real people, even if they were, you know, quite grandly played. Um, mm -hmm. And it, for me, that became an expectation. So then when you bring in mm -hmm. someone like Clara, who is, uh, you know, like uh, River Song, Rit Small, um, uh, high concept and... Um, sounding like a, a sitcom character on acid um i don't know i just there's just nothing there was, there was nothing tangibly real about her and that's an issue for me i but you know uh i i and i think it's a a valid point which is that i think moffat at his best will often write 
uh, compelling characters, but he won't necessarily write realistic characters. Um, people you'll find in the world, like you know, even in their best episodes, I'm not sure Amy and Rory are real people, but they that doesn't mean they can't be engaging characters. I felt they were out there realist in Seven A, and I felt mm-hmm. we talked about that a bit as well. And 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 they were just presented with uh, very real emotions, and that they were going on a very real journey. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm gonna throw you something which might also provide you with a segue into the next episode. Go on. What did you? Because you were talking about how thinly sketchy was. What did you think of the whole? Because in this episode, I was what, what one of the things I did I really quite liked was the, and admi- admittedly, it is a bit of character development that is closed with a quip. Um, but the 101 places to see book um, did that strike you as an interesting character beat sort of rewatching it knowing where where it went in the next episode not really no not really i don't think i i, I would have just preferred um a, a detailed character that i got to know really well enough it's, it's a gimmick isn't it and it's a gimmick it, it's a gimmick in the next episode as well um, which mm-hmm. does allow us to segue into. Oh, sorry. Why don't you? We we summarized the episodes in our first part. So why don't you summarize the Bells of St John before we head into Act Ten? Um, I think you know conceptually very subdued, uh, very fun, very witty, uh, confidently made. Which I know you're gonna <laughs> let me, off. You go. I would say this is um, Stephen Moffat's two and a half seasons in. He's overburdened with work. He's doing Sherlock. He's preparing for the 50th. His eyes off the ball a little bit. And this is essentially Moffat who on autopilot. It ticks all the boxes, but barely. And I think any kind of real worth in the Bells of St. John is in its execution rather than in its writing. Mm-hmm. Like the plane scene. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, I disagree with that because the plane scene is well written and well executed. I mean, pretty much like the concept is really good. Um, but then like that that isn't really, again, that is, it is just a fun set. They're not really part of the episode as a whole, is it? It's what impact does I that, don't... what impact does that have on the episode as a whole? Um, yeah, it's a threat. Mm. That's true, and there, and you know, other than that, it's just those silly spoonheads. Oh, there, very quickly, there was that really fun scene in the cafe where Miss Kislet was talking out of the mouths of several people. I quite like that bit. I thought that was a fun idea. <laughs> that, that oh, we got there in the end. Well, it could it could have been it could have been like I would have done that across the episode, and it would have been really really fun. Yeah, um, and it kind of caps off with a line that Moffat does versions of later where he it's like um it's the closest thing to social satire it or a way it's just like nobody loves cattle more than burger king yeah and that, um, that's a that's a good line um, yeah which uh moffat does a few times later it, it pops up in wealth enough in time when um uh, bill's talking about rehabilitating the master and um <laughs> what is a uh, pity capaldi or something like um are you enjoying your bacon sandwich? Yeah. Uh, um, he, he can, yes. he, he can bite Moffat when he wants to, can't he? Mm. 
I, but he's not, he's not as out, he doesn't veer towards political uh, outrageousness the same way Russell does. Yeah, I'd agree with that. Uh, well, we're 40 minutes in, so we better skip to Akaten. Um, yep. However, should you wish to listen to our thoughts um, at large about Akaten, there is an episode that we did uh, where we talked about that and Praxius. Uh, where so we're we're kind of gonna do ten minutes on Akaten and then skip on to the other episodes that we've never spoken about before. Um, mm-hmm. This is my favorite episode of the season, and I don't think that's a popular opinion. I yeah, I don't. I think even to this day, Akaten is still frowned upon because it really did not stick the landing when it went out on broadcast. No, and I watched um, this with a friend and she looked at me at the end because she'd never seen Doctor Who before and she went, well, isn't Matt Smith brave to be in that? <laughs> oh, God. Yeah, which I thought was the damning indictment. I was, uh, damning um, with fame praise indeed. A couple of things I noticed about this one this time is that it does, it feels very much to me like a Star Trek episode than a Doctor Who one. I said before it was more really? like... Really? Yeah, it's because... But original series Star Trek, where it was quite big and they could go to planets that were, like, conceptually a bit weird and mm-hmm. um, a bit over the top with lots of high performance and crazy aliens. And mm-hmm. uh, the Doctor kind of talks down a massive god planet the same way that Kirk would talk down a massive god computer... Um, mm-hmm. with a similarly grandiose speech, but imagine it coming out of Shatner's lips instead of Matthew's, <laughs> um, which would be infinitely better. Any speech yeah. coming out of Shatner's lips would be infinitely better. Um, I don't think so. I think, no, I'm not going to get into it. <laughs> oh, my I God. Think that... Well, I mean, I'm not saying he doesn't chew the scenery like Matt Smith does here, but um, anyway. Um, and... Um, I just, I, do you know what I think? I think this is the boldest episode of the season because it is, you know me, I like a bit of camp and I like a mm-hmm. bit of quirky and a bit of silly. And I don't mind when Doctor Who like, like dares to be different enough to be a little bit embarrassing. And this mm. has its moments. It's with Clara on the bike going, you know, but it's really fun. It's a really fun story. And Another thing I noticed this time was there's a lot of detail. Like Neil Cross has really thought through this world, the layers of this world, the different characters, what they do, the location, the currency. Like he, this is a really like you could probably write a novel around Akaten, and it'll be mm-hmm. a, it'll be a really kind of detailed novel. Um, where it falls down, I think, is his execution a lot of the time. Uh, it wants to be this massive space opera with a, like a Star Wars movie budget. It wants to be made by Disney, you know, right now. Yeah. Like the Mandalorian. And unfortunately, yeah. it's Doctor Who, which still has an impressive budget, but can afford 20 monsters that it has to superimpose like 100 times to make it look like an amphitheater. <laughs> yeah. um, and there's lots of kind of CGI and CSO that looks a little bit ropey. Um, I'm not mm. saying it's not. It hasn't got like visually stunning moments. It does. I think Matt Smith and Jenna Coleman um, silhouetted against that that moon at the end, that that, that god planet, is really quite a, a resting image. Um, but it is clearly reaching for the sky, and it's you know halfway up a mountain. 
Mm. And I seem to remember, because I think when you watched it, you said you thought Jenna Coleman had her best moment in the entire show the in this episode? Run. The whole run. And it's the bit where she does say, the most important leaf in human history. And she just it's, it's so beautifully understated. And it's set up by the weird beginning where Matt Smith is. Oh, it is. Yeah. <laughs> that is um you and and you know yeah it's that kind of thing where you like you know you you know what this what it's actually trying to do but yeah. it still comes across as a bit creepy that's like utterly voyeuristic the only way it could be creepier would be if he was fiddling with himself while watching her and frankly in later parts of the season he's practically fiddling himself whilst he's watching her anyway uh, and i you know that's true in a slightly short skirt mm-hmm. um yeah, with um, Akaten, uh, the thing that really, really did genuinely strike me about it was I, I did, I did stop and go, this is really weird, and not weird in a kind of Capaldi era kind of weird, where you know it's a deliberate high concept experiment, mm. uh, where it's consciously tinkering with some kind of fundamental aspect of the format or the show. Uh, to say something it's just genuinely quite weird um and i i think when and a lot of i think i agree with a lot of uh, on the production front i think i agree with you there's some moments where visually it holds up wonderfully Mm -hmm. like i adore uh, the moment when um, Matt Smith leads Clara out of the TARDIS for the first time and she opens her eyes yeah, for the first time. Gorgeous. It's beautifully performed. But just like um, later that, on, like, like the mummy, when he smashes the glass in slow motion, like that's really effective as well. I think the first shot of Akaten when, um, before, uh, is really striking as well. And then, of course, you get the bike scenes and then you're reminded that this is, is in fact, Doctor Who. And you're just like, Doctor goodness. I, it was it was really weird for me because for the first I mean aside from the intro and actually yeah I think we'll both agree on this I got very annoyed in series seven B at the number of times an episode either opens or ends oh, yeah. with Matt Smith Matt Smith going she's impossible yeah she can't what <laughs> um, uh, that really got my nerves by the time of Nightmare and Silver I was like just it, I have, anyway. It's worse in Journey uh, to the Center of the TARDIS where they fucking address the arc and then reset it. I'm sorry. We'll, um, we'll get there. We'll get there. Um, but with Akaten, uh, I really quite enjoyed it for the first half. Uh, or the first the, the first act of it, I mm. quite liked. And I really did genuinely like um, uh, Clara's little chat with the, the Queen of Years. Oh, um, isn't she a terrible actress? Oh, she's awful. And she can't she, sing either. Uh, I but I know I, I I think she's charming and sweet in and that's all that really is required. So you're not putting her in with the brood of the damned then, the children I of the Moffat era. As far as I'm concerned, there is no such thing. Oh, um, Are you joking me? All those bloody kids in Forest of the Dead? No, no, Forest of the Night and Angie and Artie, they are the brood of the damned. Um, no, but anyway, so I think the scene, um, uh, between her and, uh, and Clara is really, there's a, like, there are moments in this, where it's like, this is really written for children. And I don't mean yeah, that in yeah, a condescending yeah. kind of Completely. way, but it's, it's a Disney written, movie. It's a Disney movie. Yeah. Like, you know, one of my, 
it, one of the really interesting things about this episode is that it is probably, I think, by consensus, maybe the least popular Smith episode. Um, but but it's full of moments which are some of the most popular Smith yeah. moments. Like, um, Take obviously, it all, Benny! Yeah, the Akaten speech is, you know, one of Matt Smith's most iconic moments. Um, that is some of the best acting he does in Doctor Who, that sequence. But I, but in a lot of ways, I think he gives a speech which is much better than that in this episode. I think the speech he gives um, the Queen of Years, where he's talking about how all the elements in your body come together, and um, oh, yeah. I think that speech... Well, I really genuinely think that speech is so. It's one of those moments where it's like that is written for children. It's less like, grandstanding, is... isn't it? Obviously, like like uh, the bit at the end with the bloody great planet with the pumpkin head is is mm -hmm. a bit. Um, it's less subtle, isn't it? So it stands out more, I think. Yeah, um, and I do. And the middle, I think, is where Rings of Akaten kind of loses me a little bit when um, it's a lot of. Matt Smith waving a sonic screwdriver. Um, yeah. Uh, the the Godfather waking up. Uh, all this toing and froing. There's, um, there's one bit right, which absolutely says to me, classic Who, where the singing that um, the Queen of Years is singing her song at the end. It's like la 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 la, and then it cuts to this bloke in drag, just not going. Oh, oh. <laughs> oh my yeah. god. How did that make the cut? Like, bless yeah. I One of the things I do, actually, now that you've mentioned the Matt Smith scene, mm. it is very big and it's very actorly. Mm. That that speech has never really landed with me personally. You're joking. Um, like, the way it builds momentum, that speech, and he starts slow and subtle and builds and builds until he's crying. Like, he's really giving it... Like, that's, that's an actor who's not afraid to to go to the edge and then jump over oh no and i i don't i this it's not me critiquing matt smith's performance i think it's exquisite um and you know exquisite. but the thing I, I i take an issue um with uh with that speech is that it's i remember watching it and it feeling like a matt smith speech like you know after right. pandorica opens it's like, oh, we should give Matt Smith more speeches like the Pandorica speech. And that one, you know, this one where the doctor's going, I have seen things. I was like, oh. But the thing I actually really me? like, the thing I really like about the speech is that, you know, it's the doctor giving his entire life uh, yeah. to this god. And it's and it's not enough. It's not enough. No. Uh, and I, He's hungry for a leaf. Yeah, but no, but it's all and you know I think the whole leap thing it's very sentimental and very well goopy. It is. Um, it's a Disney movie. We've had it's sentimental currency. It's all built in. It's part of this world. If you don't really like that style of storytelling, that sort of tone, yeah, then you're absolutely going to reject this. But I, I think it, it follows through on on the sort of the setting that it's created. You know. And that that that's mm -hmm. the payoff there, and and it tells us something about Clara, for the only time that season. Um, it gives Jenna Coleman a chance to properly act. Um, sorry, she does act a number of episodes, um, and it re it reduces me to tears because you know you know I don't want to make a, like a big thing of this, but obviously I've lost my mum, 
and she says it's full of all those moments uh that my mum won't have and you know like i can buy into that absolutely so yeah. that moment reduces me to tears and it's her performance but it's also the words that she's saying and there's a moment at the very, very end of the episode where the people of Akaten give her back her mother's ring. And it's, yeah. and it re that moment really landed for me. It was like that, you know, that's a sacrifice. And it, you, cause you know, sometimes things get returned to characters in the Moffat era and it feels like you took that away, but there's no consequence to it. That was a moment where I was like, you took something away from Clara. She sacrificed something and she gets it back again. And it feels earned. And we did address this in our uh, our upper episode, but um, this also has the worst bit of dialogue in it that, of the entire half season, and that is, oh my oh, stars! My... <laughs> yeah, I think it was when Jenna Coleman said it. I was like, we're really giving, we're really making Jenna Coleman say, oh my stars. Um, God, God bless her. So yeah, so with with Akaten, at least for me, it is this kind of story where I get why people. I to this day, I get why people don't like it because it is going for a very particular tone, mm. and it's and again, I it, it's 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 it's. I think it is written for. I keep saying this. It is written for children. It's written about children facing their fears about being scared of responsibilities about being scared of running away about being scared about losing family uh, all these things are there and it wraps it up in this kind of essentially magical world um i don't think you know even the economy of as much as i love the idea of uh, you know it's in the currency itself you know you've got a story that is you know, heavily sentimental tonally. Mm. Um, and some people didn't like that, but it's literally built into the fabric of the world some because literally the currency itself mm. is sentiment, sentiment yeah. uh, and sentimentality. And the stories so that, that, um, geez, man, I'd be fucking rich. This was, <laughs> this was a, a present from my friend, Tim, who came all the way from New Zealand. This was yeah. a present from my friend, Mark. Who's got another? Like I could, Jesus Christ! I've got so much sentimental currency around me. Get me to Ackerton now. I'll be a bloody millionaire. Yeah. I can't help. I can't, I can't help but think, but that, that the way that economy works, it just means that people are like desperately making connections with each other to <laughs> make money. <laughs> like yeah. be my best friend, so I can buy food this week. Um, you could totally exploit no. that system, couldn't you? Yeah, definitely. But also, I think the poverty rates in the rigs of Akaten must be skyrocketing. <laughs> it's like, where do, what do, where do you have to go once you sort your mother's ring? Um, anyway, um, Akaten, I, I think it is, it's unwieldy in places. Structurally, I think it's not, it doesn't fit together very well. Um, but I do think, I like what it, I do, like you said, I admire what it's trying mm. to do. I admire, you know, it, for me, it's it's a, it's an interesting experiment. It's a brave one. It's genuinely brave. Um, and it's one of those experiments that is neither a success nor a failure, I don't think. It's not a sleep no more, and it's not a heaven sent. Um, like, it's but, like, regardless of anything, it's watchable. Like, I've heard people, yeah. like, like Pete Lambert, 
he couldn't even he didn't he didn't watch this. I think he watched ten minutes and someone phoned him up to say, "Oh, I'm going to the pub," and then he went to the pub and then he he never watched it back when he came back it was like oh, i don't want to watch the end of that like, it's watchable i think hmm. so i would summarize it as um uh, you know unwieldy somewhat unwieldy mm. sentimental um but it uh, but it earns it its sentimentality um i think it's ambitious in a way quite a few of these episodes this season on um it goes some way in the writing towards um executing what it's trying to do but it doesn't have the money behind it my biggest issue with it is this is essentially the end of the world it's the companion going to a weird exciting alien place yeah surrounded by mad creatures and things like this and going back to that kind of doctor who's lost its confidence or lost its pizzazz the end of the world was literally focused through um rose's eyes and it asked smart questions of what a human being would feel like in that situation there's none of that with clara at all she just skips through this story and you know she she doesn't really she has a, a mild sense of wonder at the beginning but after that, she's just on board. You know, she takes everything in her stride, essentially. Um, and do, I, you know, I do think I do think they do a good moment of shell shock with her, where um, you know she's been she's in the kind of the bazaar and all these things, all these weird things are happening to her. And then the doctor says, it, "You know, at the time, I think we we're all like, oh, that's a that's a nice little fiftieth anniversary little continuity kind of thing." When um, uh matt smith kind of goes ah my granddaughter oh yeah um and i think we're all like "Ooh, susan but really i think it earns that little moment because it's meant to really show even the doctor is weird and unknowable to clara but you know what i mean when i say the end of the world is channeled through rose yes and and it's very easy to to be on board with the shock she's going through and and how amusing it is and how horrifying some moments are and we're not looking through clara's eyes in the same way are we yeah well i think it's in in many what the end of the world does is different from what akaten does because uh akaten is all about introducing clara to something that is completely weird and unknowable whereas the end of the world is doing that, but it's meshing it through a familiar filter of this is still the earth. You know, we've got Britney Spears playing in the background. So there's this familiarity. But at the end of Akaten, she's riding space bikes and walking up to a god planet with a leaf. You know, like she's pretty much taking this in her stride. Yeah, although, but then again, you do say, you know, it, it, it's a genuine sacrifice that Clara does make in that in that moment. And it is one that Jenna Coleman yeah. earns. Oh, no, no, absolutely. And, I, and the moment is good, but it's how she's reacting to the world around her. It's kind of mm -hmm. what I'm trying to say. Um, there's a deliberate distance between the audience and Clara because Stephen Moffat wants to maintain the mystery of her character. And I think that's an issue this season. But I, I don't think you see that in I, gen, I, I disagree with that on Akaten. I think if that were true, you wouldn't get the scene of her talking about black, uh, getting lost in Blackpool to a, a scared girl. 
I think there are story moments like maybe it's Jenna Coleman then. Maybe it's Jenna Coleman finding her feet and I don't know. For me, um, for me, I just I like Kara here, and I I like her in this episode. I don't really believe that she is a person in this situation. She's not reacting to it in a way that I would recognize. Do you know, speaking of believability, uh, the thing that th there was a moment where she was just like, that is genuinely like super believable. I, I've been, is at the beginning when the doctor goes, what do you want? No, where do you want to go? What do you want to see? And she goes, I don't know. <laughs> you know, it's like when someone asks you, what's your favorite book? And you suddenly forget every single book. I was like, that is, but I, even that that is me. Was, that was done better in the end of the world as well. That bit at the beginning of like, you know, where she's like, oh, what's out there? You know, like it was just, it was just done better. I don't, but it, but they're, they're different beats because it's exactly the same yeah. thing. He's like, where do you want to go? Somewhere amazing. Okay, great. You know, like it, it, it it's the no, same but it, premise. It, it's different. It is different because in end of the world, Rose makes a decision from the get go. She says, I want to go forwards, but then doesn't know how far forward she wants to go. Clara does something else where she's just like, it's like, it all filters out of her head, which is, you know, I do that all the time. Someone, I, I, you know, you go up to anybody and ask them, what's your favorite film? Or like, what's your favorite, uh, maybe not what's your favorite TV show. That's the wrong podcast. So you have asking that question. Um, uh, but any, people go, oh, I can't think. Um, but anyway, we're getting really caught up on a very Yeah, yeah, part. yeah, yeah, that's true. That's true. Um, and I really like this. I know I'm criticizing it a lot, but I, I, I do genuinely think this is the boldest statement in series 7B. And it's the one episode that's trying to do something completely out there. And I admire it for that. Mm -hmm. Cold War. Oh, do we have to? Do we have to oh, do this? My God. Okay, my question about Cold War is this, yeah? Why the fuck doesn't this work? Because on paper, it's a, a, a tense setting. <laughs> it's a dramatic time period is the cold fucking war it's, yeah it's a classic monster it's it's populated with liam cunningham and david warner for god's sakes um it has one of the more striking directors behind it who went on to do like listen and time heist why is this so boring it yeah this one i you know i was watching this earlier today and there were several points where i was just on my phone <laughs> um i Why, think though? well i think i i think you kind of already identified it in some ways because you're right on paper this is terrific mm. you know um ice warriors on a submarine is a really good is a really good pitch yeah. for a story um it's and throwing in the sort of and making it a soviet submarine is like you know is a little deep is like icing on 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 the cake um so um but, but moffitt, moffitt didn't want ice warriors did he he did not no, want ice I, warriors and gators had to convince gattis i had to convince him and he pitched you know the submarine the cold war blah blah and apparently moffitt's eyes lit up and he was like yeah do it yeah and i think you can yeah i think he was a bit hesitant with the the ice warriors because on the one hand it's a fun design but on the other hand you know they have an odd voice and they're called the ice warriors however it is a really good combination of ideas that gators comes up with mm. but it never really 
it, it doesn't really progress beyond those initial ideas. It's like, this is the premise and that's it. Nothing else really happens beyond that point. It has, you know, it's, it has its starting ideas, but then doesn't go anywhere after that. It's like, we're on a submarine. That's all we need. We have, um, the ice warriors. I mean, it, they do try to do ostensibly, they do, they're trying to do new things with the ice warriors, like the ice warriors out of the suit. Mm. Um, but it just, it doesn't really, it's not interesting. That is the shittiest CGI I've ever seen in my life. It's terrible. Like, like if you, if you're building up to this, you're going to see the ice warriors out of the suit. Oh man. It honestly looks like a 1980s cartoon. It's 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 really it's really s- s- weird because earlier in the episode when um, Skaldak is out of the suit, he's got these terrible practical effect rubber <laughs> lizard arms. <laughs> they keep coming down, do they? Keep coming down and grabbing yeah. people's heads. It's so yeah, and 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 it's really <laughs> weird because half of it, the bits of his half of. We either see him in the suit, but when he's outside the suit, he's either got these really terrible fake arms, or he's got this really terrible CGI head. I've seen some really awful, like, Poundland B-movies that have, like, practical effects like that with the crappy hands. Mm. Oh, come on, like, uh, they can do better than this, can't they? I I think, uh, you know, it, one of the things that, I think the submarine is really well done. I think the set is... It's bloody massive. What are you talking about? There's no submarine on this earth that's that big. I have you been in a submarine? I have been in a submarine. Yes. Okay. Okay. They're, they're bloody tiny. They're so cramped. These have got huge, bloody great tunnels in them. This is no. I... Mark Gatiss said I was. I digged out the DWM um, that had the preview about this, and Mark Gatiss talking about it. Is it Gatiss or Gatiss? I think it's Gators. Mark Gates is talking about it. And he said they have to Hollywoodize the submarine, but they do it to such a ridiculous degree. <laughs> it's, mm. it's, um, I think, yeah. Yeah, I think you lose some of the. I mean, you do get some bits of claustrophobia, but it. Yeah, I think, you know, actually, one thing I was really aware of was with Douglas McKinnon's direction is that he will. He's. I think when he's got limit, when he's given a lot of restrictions, the way he will try to cover up changes in sets and differences in rooms. He'll try to do a lot of big lighting, like yeah. big mood lighting. But, so it, and it's the same thing in Time Heist. He uses different lighting gels to disguise the fact that Peter Capaldi and Jenna Coleman are running down the same corridor multiple times. Weird enough, in Time Heist, though, I felt like there was there was more space to be creative because um, we're going to different locations. Um, mm. and, and you know, there's lots of crazy shit happening in that. Whereas here, yeah, it felt like every room we went to in this submarine, it was a different color. You know? Yeah. I. Yeah. Um. It. It. It, it is really. I don't even. I. It's. It's. It's one of the, the upsetting things with Cold War is that I don't even think it's particularly bad. It's just blandly competent. Oh, I mean, it's I'd, like, I'd point that at this half season as a whole. I think, oh, I'm, I, I don't, I don't think blandly competent is is one thing you can really say about Seven B. No, um, just bland. <laughs> Sorry, um, I, um, 
with but with yeah with cold war like there's there's no beats, there's no surprises here is there there's there's nothing nothing like once you know um there's an ice warrior there which is early it's like okay so the ice warrior stalks them through the ship you know people die yeah. they run around screaming they're a bit nervous for some reason david warner's playing a load of pop music i don't know yeah why. i think i think I... That, that's his character isn't it he plays pop yeah. music yeah, David Warner is a bit of a is. And you know what was really one moment that really frustrated me is when um, Clara is talking to David Warner's character, and it's meant to be a moment where you know she's he's asking her what's wrong, hmm. um, uh, why are you so rattled, and she talks about how like the deaths and the dissections that Skaldak has done. It's like it, she says that line where she's like suddenly it's all become very real and i was just like this should be the most emotionally yeah. resonant thing and it just and i was like there is no connection here and how is that possible when you have jenna coleman and david warner and the bit where she has to go in and like face the ice warrior should be the most terrifying moment the companion having to face this terrifying monster and i just felt nothing it just felt like there's just nothing to her blow mm. her and off she goes like a paper bag. This, she's just so insubstantial. Uh, again, I this is this was one of the episodes where I was kind of like, um, that Clara doesn't have really have much of a character here. It's more, it feels like more an ex of an exercise in letting Jenna Coleman play and make choices as an actor in doing companionly things. If that makes sense. I um I've read a lot of the BBC books and I know that Mark Gatiss is perfectly capable of characterizing Doctor Who companions vividly. I don't know what goes wrong in his TV episodes. He he just goes into companion default mode a lot of the time. Mm -hmm. Um but I think I think his best stab at Clara was Robot Sherwood where he he lets her have fun and lets her be the one that's really enjoying herself. Like she's, I think she's really engaging in that story. But here, and, I just, I just, there's just, yeah, I know. I keep, I keep saying the same thing. There's just nothing to her at all. I and like I said, I think Jenna Coleman's doing a lot of good work in this story. I don't think she doesn't have a lot to work with, but she's, she's a good actor, and she's making, and she's doing, and she's making interesting choices. Um, but again, it's this thing where I, I, you know, I would, I, would I can't. I, I would argue against that. I, I don't think she really knows what she's doing in this first stretch of episodes. I think she's a bit unsure um, how to play Doctor Who. And so I, I, it, it feels to me like like she's saying the lines, but there's not... like When, when we get to deep breath and there's like a hard reset and there's a, a, an effort to pour character into clara and and then to give her a relationship with the doctor that's spiky and interesting um she she seizes hold of that you can see her in deep breath seizing hold of that material and just going for it here i think she's just kind of sleepwalking a bit through the park i don't know i don't think i wouldn't say sleepwalking but um i do i do agree that she's not given material that particularly challenges her yeah. um uh one thing 
uh, with this story, I suppose, is well, the I, I suppose <laughs> it was a bad sign for me. Where the thing that the only thing that really surprised me is like, how did the how did this story get three leads from the crown in it? Oh my god, that's unbelievable! I was like, isn't it? I was like, wasting like, great guest actors again. I was like, so hang, but even the, the thing that really surprised me is that um, Pietra who is the um, sailor who, with the blowtorch. I didn't even know I was that like, was. I was just like, that's, that's Prince, you know, that's Prince Charles from the crown. Uh, and then, and then of course you have literally both actors who played Prince Philip in the, and I took a screenshot of, uh, is it Tob Tobias Menzies? Is that his name? Um, and Matt Smith uh, together in the same scene as like time travel. <laughs> You've got, <laughs> Uh, but it's, you know, it, like, 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 you know, we're doing like wasted guest actor watch. We've had Celia Emery in the Bell St. John. We've got David Warner in this. I place. maintain that isn't a waste. I think they're both a waste. And I know. Well, okay. I, I think I think David Warner is more of a waste though, because he, you know, at least um, Miss Kislet has some fun lines and some fun moments. David Warner gets nothing I don't here. Know what the point of his character is in this? I don't know what he contributes apart from he's a ultra um, box. I, I th that was a moment where <laughs> I was like, do you know, I felt like such a grump where it was just like, do they split up? And I was just like, Gators, I know what you're trying to do. It is not funny. <laughs> it's it's so bad. Chibnall could have written that comedy line. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I guess, I, okay, I'm going to be honest with you. I have a lot to say about Cold War. It is, no, no. It is tediously dull. Mm-hmm. You can you'll watch it and then forget it. Yeah, like most games. Um, and if you want to see the new series and Mark Gators do the Ice Warriors better, watch Empress of Ma uh, Empress of Mars. Yeah, I, I don't think Empress of Mars is reaching for the stars, but I do think it's more fun than this. Yeah, um, and I think um, it find it, it, it with the. I I feel like in Cold War, Gators has is trying to explore. Um, Th things ice warriors can do as villains more like you know what happens when they leave the suit um and there's a lot of background world building which isn't really interesting at all no. um whereas um empress of mars is just like its big idea is there's a female ice warrior and somehow that's quite compelling and victorian troops on mars Mm. And Which is admittedly a very... it turns human beings into bouncy balls. That's right, it does. It does turn them into, as you say, bouncy balls. <laughs> um, um, I, I would basically sum this one up. As... I'm not. I'm not even going to. What's there to say? Well, I just say it's like <laughs> it's it's so painfully unambitious because it's basically Doctor Who by numbers, isn't it? Tense yeah. setting, classic monster, couple of guest actors. Um, I can see why even Moffat went for this. It just doesn't come off at all. Uh, my summary is, yep, that definitely was an episode of a television show. <laughs> Woo! Oh, that's scathing for you, that is. That's, um, yeah, that, I, that did in fact roll over my eyes. What's next? Is it Hyde? Oh, Hyde. Oh. I think so. I think it's no, Hyde. It is, yeah, it is. Yeah, it is. Hyde. It is. Um, can I can I start with this one? Go for it. 
So I did a commentary on Hyde very recently. So I'd seen it very recently, yeah. Um, and I originally scored this one quite highly. And when I went back to watch it pre-commentary, <coughs> I found it a lot more disappointing. Um, and essentially, I think the biggest weakness in this story, two things. One is I thought that Matt Smith and Jenna Coleman sabotaged the atmosphere of the episode at every turn by behaving like a pair of sitcom characters all the time in what is essentially a haunted house story or a ghost story. Um, and two, whilst it's probably the best of the episode, the five minute detour in the middle of the episode where they go off in the TARDIS. Yeah. What's the one thing you don't do in the middle of a, a horror story is you you abandon the location to the safety of the TARDIS and then go and do some weird time travel, timey-wimey, Stephen Moffat stuff. Now, it's fun. That middle bit is fun. But essentially, all the atmosphere this episode's built up to that point is gone. Um, I see. I love that scene. <laughs> no, no, it's good. It's really, really good. And um, it it's visually the best of the episode, I think, as well. But essentially, it, it, it takes the... It, we've skipped from one yeah, genre no, to another, you know? Yeah, no, I see what you mean, because, um, uh, you know, in Series 7B and Series 7A as well, they're marketing themselves as the episode. You know, this is the Haunted House episode. Yeah. Um, and this is the horror episode. And then, and it doesn't really, you know, it does it can kind of commits to the horror stuff at the haunt. Well, I shouldn't say horror. I should say haunted house kind of gimmicks and cliches at the beginning and then just kind of ditches them. I don't think it's necessarily a particularly good haunted house story. No. Um, In fact, but it's I scary do... later on, isn't it? When he goes to that forest, that's really scary. Yeah. And, but I, I you know, I, I think it does have moments of atmosphere that I quite like. And I, I do actually, I did actually really enjoy this story. I think it is a better character piece than it is a haunted house story. Can I make an, um, an unfair observation that you're not going to agree with? Um, okay. Uh, so I said this in the commentary as well, but it's so good, I it's bears repeating. And that is, um, I think that Do Gray, what's his name? What, what, what's oh, um. Give me a sec. Well, basically, Jessica Rain and the Professor guy, yeah? They make mm -hmm. a better Doctor and Companion than the Doctor oh, and Companion yes, that we get. Um, I don't think I agree with that. Well, what an incredible um, surprise there. Um, but I do think they are. They are written kind of as an Earthbound Doctor. Uh, yeah, yeah. I But... I do think it is a good little story. Yeah, I think it is a good little character piece. It, um, it, I really fuses genres well, doesn't it? Like it is science fiction and horror, and it it, it's, it kind of juggles those quite confidently. I think. Mm -hmm. um, I think. See, I, I I was really going into it. I was really conscious of, and I know what I'm about to say isn't going to persuade you at all, um, which I'm used to. Um, but, um, Sorry. um, uh, I, cause I went into it thinking it, you know, you know what I found very weird actually to go, kind of go from the beginning. Cause I know when Matt Smith and Jenna Coleman arrive in the story, you have a big problem with that because they 
are very comedic and as you say they kind of act like sitcom characters and they kind of steamroll the tone see for some reason i and i take your point here um i i i see why that would damp completely dampen the mood for you here but for some reason it doesn't do that for me whereas i think it does that for me in um a, a town called mercy where i'm just like uh, they're, they're all kind of real the the doctor is really drawing attention to the fact that he's in a western and it annoyed me whereas for some reason the doctor drawing attention to the fact he was in a ghost story didn't bother me here for some reason really? and i can't really explain why okay um uh, you're, you're right i'm uh, not convinced but i'm glad you said it um well but but that's not my that also wasn't the main point i was going to make um the main thing with the performance in the beginning is i think it is in the script and in the performance it is a deliberate choice that the doctor arrives and he's like "Ooh, we're in a haunted house story because there is that moment later on when um they're in the um you know they're in the, the i forget what it's called when you're with the photochemicals when you're putting them in water oh um, yeah the developing room yeah the developing room um there's a moment where um the doctor puts is putting the photos they've taken of the of the specter and he says the um uh you know this isn't she isn't what i was expecting her to be and it's like what were you expecting her to be fun and for me that made sense of the earlier comedic performance because it's like oh they were expecting just a fun haunted house story and they end up with something a lot more unhinged and spooky and so then they have to tone it down as they go that's very meta are they aware they're in a tv episode then we just wanted a fun haunted house story yeah well yeah, <laughs> i mean it's not it, it's not unlike it's not unusual for doctor who to go that's... we're gonna do something fun and it kind of spirals out of control well the unicorn and the wasp we're in a fun murder mystery story <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, that's true but uh, it's but you're it's different with a comedy though have, than with a haunted house i have to mention um the 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 fact that this turns into a love story at the end okay because mm -hmm. that's just fucking weird all right that we've got this okay i'm not saying that that disfigured mutant creature cannot find love we wouldn't be doing this in the classic series would we we would not be doing this you would not get to the end of the green death and say well it was all about those two maggots and they're in love like yeah they will be blown to shit by the end of the episode what the hell so weird and hang on on top of that that bloody moffat thing of um hilla tacorian yeah there's a chibnall name if ever i heard one hilla tacorian turning out to be a descendant of jessica rain and dugray scott's characters yeah it's a little it's kind of a dry run for danny pink in some ways it's very convenient um, is what it is um <laughs> Sorry, Orson Pink is what I meant. Um, but um, yeah, her character is quite a bit of a letdown um, because she is she is just a cipher. She just turns up and then runs, and that's about it. But she is in the costume from Delta and the Bannermen. Um, see, you don't like the sort of love story angle at the end. And it, it it's a bit of a, I vividly remember that on broadcast where it was kind of like, okay, we've wrapped up the story. We've wrapped up the mystery. 
um the haunt you know the house is no longer haunted we're done here and then suddenly it's like oh this came out of no <laughs> this came out of nowhere uh, i remember being kind of really wrong-footed by it mm. in 2013 and it is still really weird um <laughs> Uh, but I do kind of like it because the whole episode in some ways, particularly with um, Jessica Rain's character and, um, oh, what's his name? Uh, Douglas, oh, Dougray, Dougray Scott? Mm, Dougray Scott, yeah. Yeah, Dougray Scott. Uh, it's it's all about, you know, I think the choice of having her as an empath and not a telepath is very telling because it is all about feeling. Mm. and concealing your feelings and i feel like you know the whole story is about it on some level about how you know the doctor is hiding his suspicions and his feelings about clara um and, um, and you know actually um this she, jessica rain gets one of my favorite lines in the in the episode at the very end where, where he's like so she's just an ordinary girl why isn't that enough um, which I was kind of like, that's showing a bit of... But, well, um, well, I think we've established in this podcast so far, she's not an ordinary girl, because I can't buy into her at all. Anyway, sorry, continue. I, But no, I, I kind of like this, the fact that it's, it's the story about people hiding how they feel. Um, and oh. to the point, to the point where you know it's in some ways because we're so used to this being a doctor who monster show it that's hidden <laughs> uh, it, hidden the monsters from each other is that why this is called hide i don't i i don't know oh my god that's a nice reading um i like i like the idea that, but i like the idea it's about hiding your feelings um how many uh, times can you say hide in the next 10 minutes <laughs> <laughs> um but, but but like you know, it's not really about hiding, no. is it? Oh yes, I never I never quite got the title really. <laughs> um, I mean, the monster is kind of kind of uh, obscured, that but that's monster, about it. That monster is so badly designed that they have to do that kind of scuttling, weird, sped up. Oh thing. yeah, where they've like edited a frame or two out to make it look like it's yeah yeah like yeah. Like it's a little bit of a because when scare. you finally see it and it's like. Aah! It's really terrible. In fact, yeah. they do it again in the next episode with Jenna's Sent of the Tardis, where clearly the design is so inept they've got to blur it out the whole time. <laughs> I, but I'm, mm. I kind of want to circle back and talk about the bit in the middle mm. because I think I agree with you. Structurally, if you're telling a ghost story, it doesn't mm. make sense to kind of go off on detour. Mm. But I think thematically that moment is really strong and as a character moment it is very very strong um as, i, as I wouldn't piece together the mystery as well it's an interesting way of doing it of taking all those pictures over time and then building up the story of what's happening with that woman like that's that's really that's that's imaginative yeah and i think and it, it's one of these scenes where it's really trying to show off how alien the doctor's perspective is mm um which and i think you do get a really subdued moment of um uh shell you know we talk about how clara isn't really sh is she shaking a little bit but talking it um uh takes akaten in her stride towards the end whereas this is a really underplayed moment of her finding the doctor's 
ability to casually walk through the entire history of Earth from beginning to death. Um, and she can't entirely understand how he can just do that. I absolutely acknowledge everything you're saying. I just don't think Jenna Coleman sells that moment where she's crying. I think, I, 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 again, it's just, a, I, I think it's personal taste, but I, 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 I am convinced by her here. I think both Matt Smith and Jenna Coleman are lovely in that scene. You remember the moment in The Runaway Bride where the earth is being formed and Donna's in the door of the TARDIS and she's in tears because she's overwhelmed by what she's seeing? That I bought, mm -hmm. that felt like a beautiful moment for that character. This just, it, it, it just sank. I don't know why. I, I, I don't know why I failed to connect with Clark. I've tried to kind of explain, but I, I just see a, an actress like trying to cry. Maybe it's because I, I, I just can't buy into the character that she is a character, you know, that she is worth investing any time in. Mm -hmm. I, I think, well, at least in comparing those two scenes, one of the things is that seeing the Earth fall is a, it's a rapid scene of just overwhelm, of, yeah. and it overwhelms immediately, whereas this is kind of a delayed melancholy and a delayed kind of shock that Clara is going through. So it's a bit more subdued and a bit more somber you know they are talking about this is where you know the idea of ghost haunting house becomes metaphoric mm. metaphorical uh where clara says you know it's not just the literal ghost in the house it's everyone we're all ghosts to the time traveler um which I, and I just love that. I just adore that but i can understand why that doesn't resonate with you but what you said about on paper the whole that whole sequence and and mostly in execution as well there's a fabulous bit where matt smith is outside the house and he's kind of like doing that thing where he waves his arms and he just looks amazing it's it's beautifully framed um mm. and a lot of this episode i think the execution is is very good like very stylish they've got they go to some terrific locations as well um mm -hmm. Like it's like the anti Akaten, you know, like like that that <laughs> kind of bomb visually. But this, I think, the visuals are probably the best thing about it. Um, well, how would you summarize Hyde then? Um, I, I also just want to give two shout outs to one Matt Smith's pronunciation of Metabolus Three. Oh, my God. Oh, um, the way from Metabolus Three. Metabolus Three, uh, and also just uh, you know. A moment I still find genuinely quite spooky in it, which and it's really quiet, which is when um, uh, you know the doctor is trapped. Uh, they leave him behind in the pocket dimension, and there's that moment where the camera just lingers on him, and he takes the step, and the house disappears. Ah, oh, very sapphire and steel. Yeah, yeah, and it just goes dead quiet and i was like "Ooh, that's really uncomfortable and also i want to give really give a shout out to what i think is the funniest moment in the entire episode which is mm. uh, when the the voice interface activates it goes of several billion possible people this is the appearance most uh most considered likable for you and the car goes oh you really are a cow <laughs> Uh, yeah, that weird thing about the TARDIS not liking her. Like, they don't really follow... The next episode is called Journey to the Centre of the TARDIS, and they absolutely could have played on that brilliantly. And done yeah, it. and it's never addressed. No, um, but so yeah, annoying. summarizing 
in summarizing Hyde, I think it's not necessarily a very good haunted house story, but it is, it's brooding and melancholic and very characterful. I mean, in the words of uh, Mark Rawlins, who did the Hyde commentary, it's very much a Doctor Who haunted house story in that it starts off like that and then has a, a mad science fiction explanation, you know, a really kind of weird explanation as to what's going on. And kind of that is Doctor Who's bag, isn't it? To take <clears throat> take the genre and then do something playful with it. Mm-hmm. Um, and you are right. It is, I mean, I don't think it's like anything more than sort of above average. And I do think that we're at a point where the Doctor and the Companion are actively sabotaging the stories that they're in. But it is certainly competently made and it's entertaining to watch. And that is something of a miracle this half season. Mm-hmm. Which brings us to Journey to the Centre of the TARDIS. Oh, off you go. Um, which is a story I don't think I've touched since 2013. Uh, I, I, I remember, <laughs> um, well, funny you should ask, because it's shit. Um, <laughs> it's so shit. <laughs> I, I remember, I think I was on, I was in, I was in Italy, uh, when this episode went out. Um, and I was watching it on this really bad, and I, we got an internet connection somewhere. And one morning I watched it on the, it was, we didn't have an iPad. We had this kind of knockoff iPad. Um, so it was really bad. And I just remember watching it and going, that was really bad. I don't want to watch that. I didn't even watch it on proper TV. Um, did you watch it again watch... for this? I did, yes. Oh, how was it? Um, slightly better than I remember, but not by much. Okay. Um, one of the things, um, I mean, uh, <clears throat> it, uh, one, one of the things... Uh, with with the story, mm-hmm. um, it it prom- There are moments in it that I like, but they're in isolation. Um, you know, it, it's it's a story about exploring the TARDIS, and we just get a bunch of corridors, which is admittedly very true to the history of the TARDIS as a whole. But we get mm-hmm. glimpses of more interesting rooms, and we never go into them. Like at least in the Invasion of Time, they actually went into a real swimming pool. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, so I think that's a dis- like objectively is a disappointment. Um, one of the things that r- really occurred to me with Journeys to the Center of Tardis, uh, Journey to the Center of the Tardis, I'm just going to say Journey, um, is that, and this is an unfair comparison, but with Clara's plotline before she's reunited with the Doctor, I had a big issue with that plotline, um, and the reason why was because I compared it against what happened with Amy and Rory in The Doctor's Wife, which is not a fair comparison because The Doctor's Wife is incredibly good Mm. and a much better TARDIS story. But what you have is that, you know, Amy and Rory are the B-plot. They're literally just shoved into the TARDIS and House does weird, horrible things to them. And until you realise there's a lot of dramatic things to explore with Amy and Rory trapped in the TARDIS, possessed by 
malevolent presence. Whereas here, what Jenna Coleman is left to do is just explore a bunch of rooms, literally yeah. push a button, and there's an explosion behind it. That's how devoid of dramatic tension it is, where she has to push a button, and there's an explosion behind a door that she has to run away from. <laughs> Um, and I was just kind of, and you know, the, and the, they're ostensibly being pursued by these time zombies, but A, they're not, they're really generic yeah. design, generically designed monsters. And they're not even there, so they're not interesting in that first leg when they're very nebulously defined. And then in the second half, when, I mean, it's not necessarily a bad twist when it's like, this is actually their time zombies of us, even though I still think that is a bit lame. Um, it just lands completely flat. But um, I do, I it feels like they should have worked out what to do with Jenna Coleman in that. Yeah. I'm, I'm really taking issue with this one particular part of the story. Oh, there's, but just like, there's way more, but but that, I mean, um, that was very generic, yeah. And, and, yeah, and, and she's I just got no like, one to interact with. Yeah, yeah, there's... So how is that going to ever bring the best out of her when she's just wandering around, like, reacting to things weirdly? In fact, the, her best moment is where she's finally back with the Doctor in the console room and she goes up and punches him. And I really laughed. I laughed. I was like, my God, she's actually getting to be funny, you know? I... I wish the story had... Do you know, I, I, I you know, I'm being unfair to this well i'm not being unfair no, no i am being unfair i'm comparing you it to being unfair enough i but uh, the other thing there are two things you can do with the tardis in terms of conceptually which is a play with time and then play with space but they try and do that don't they they try and do that where they, they have the do, bit, the bit but where, they don't, but they... where it's uh, there's like echoes of other conversations clara in yeah yeah even that just feels thrown it feels like a lot of things thrown in and none of the ideas really go anywhere or explored Um, in any they're not explored in a fun way they're just kind of like presented it's like a slideshow of time travel possibilities you know yeah and you which is a real problem because it it, there are like genuinely good ideas like i really i really do like the weird room that um has this um uh, it's the these kind of this tree of metal globes which have a, which it, the scanner says has an incalculable value and that you can and it is worth everything and i, I like that they're, they're all like you know <laughs> our favorite thing which is the um uh encyclopedia gallifreya oh, yeah, or, yeah, yeah. And which is my just God, like you could build a story around that just that simple idea that mm-hmm. brilliant idea uh and then alternative but then but part of it is that none of it is really dynamically engaged with like you know they walk into the eye of harmony and it's just matt smith standing on a bridge explaining what the eye of harmony yeah. is and it's like that's not interesting is, well you know i said she went moffat's era just like started wanking off doctor who continuity that is exactly what's going on here you know Okay, hang on. I need to dial it right back to the carjackers. Um, sure, I thought so. Well, okay. First of all, massively problematic. For the first time in that I can remember, um, there are three characters who are people of colour, yeah? Mm-hmm. And that's wonderful. 
Um, unfortunately, they're all portrayed as criminals and nasty people and, and people that are generally not very nice to be around. Yeah? Yeah. That is problematic. Um, they're also terrible actors. Uh, one of them is particularly <laughs> awful, but none of them is especially good. Um, so mm. they bomb any scene that they're in. Oh, you know me, I have trouble with Matt Smith anyway, so throw him in as well, and you've just got a car crash taking place in front of you. Um, the insanely, staggeringly stupid twist about the brother not being an android. Oh, it makes the Guy Crayford eye patch twist in the Android Invasion look like high art. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I remember that when I first watched it, I was like, that is one of the worst twists I've ever seen. And I was kind of hoping that maybe in some kind of, uh, you know, metaphoric uh, subtextual level, it, maybe it was interesting and clever. But I was like, this is actually just really terrible like and, and terrible on top of a load of other terrible things um uh another thing i want to address is how this episode um starts to cohere the clara narrative and mm -hmm. finally we have a dialogue between the doctor and the clara with, uh, the clara the doctor and clara with clara saying you know what do you mean i died all those times and 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 she's properly scared, and it feels like this, this fucking ridiculously dull arc is going in some kind of a direction and gathering some kind of steam. And then they press a fucking red button at the end and delete the lot. And I'm like, it, 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 what was the point of that? It's quite unforgivable what they do. Um, and I know in Name of the Doctor, it's... It, the events of those episodes leak back into her memory or something oh. but um there's, there's that scene where they're exploring the the big the huge tardis and they're going through the levels and the memories kind of filter back into clara's memory but i i still think it is ridiculous because the, the thing that really frustrates me is that um when clara confronts the doctor on the bridge mm. um i think matt smith and jenna it's coleman a good scene. It's a good scene. It is a good scene, and uh, the bit on the cliff face—that's a good actually, scene as well. I, which is when you know Matt Smith is being really quite horrible to her when he he just he just says there's no point in me lying or being secretive. What the hell? It's when and it's when he's like, "What are you? A trick or a trap?" Um, and she and says, "I am properly scared," and I'm like, "Oh yes, an actual emotion from Clara." Yeah. Yeah, and it's that moment, and I just, and I just wish, like the moment where he just sell it, he like pokes her face. It's like, oh, you're just a normal, ordinary person. It's, it's a I love yeah. that moment. It ain't when as they... good as the bit in Time and the Rani where he grabs Mel's wrist and goes, Mel. Mel. But it's good. It's good. <laughs> um, uh, so, and and, and it just irritates me to no end that it, and and i i assume steve thompson thinks he's being really clever in acknowledging that what he's doing is hitting a reset button by actually oh. saying it's a reset button but i was just like that is just the most annoying thing you could have done especially with the whole time crack kind of thing as well 
I mean, uh, at least it never happened. Like, we can take that from the big red button reset. This whole fucking debacle never happened. But we still true. had to watch it. I... One bit I actually did like, other than, like, these... So, I think the things I've, I've identified that I liked is the Encyclopedia Gallifrey. Um, Ten the seconds. two. Yeah, the two confrontations between the Clara and the Doctor. Five minutes. Yeah, five minutes. Uh, I actually do like the scene when they go into the engine room and it's exploded. Oh. Um, Eight minutes. And and I, I do actually really like the way Matt Smith plays that scene when he's kind of heartbroken at how... Uh, where he, it's that line he has where he's like, you know, she's always been there for me and when it's my turn and now it's my turn and I can't help her. And it's a it's it's a small moment, but I like it. I like I like it a lot. Uh, beyond that, what's so annoying about this is it's constantly presenting it as if this is the most amazing thing ever, and and you know the most high stakes ever, and the most danger they've been. And it's just so pedestrian. All of it. There's there's mm. a distinct lack of imagination in like the concepts it's throwing out, in the characterization of the guests, in every every dramatic twist in this episode is so predictable. Oh yeah. it's just so dreary. And, and, and sorry. Even sorry. with the even with the brothers, uh there there is something really fun in the idea of salvagers trying to steal bits of the TARDIS but it is so undynamically I like the grabber written. the grabber that comes and gets the TARDIS and oh, then I the, like the fact the, the TARDIS is on the walk I always love it when the TARDIS is on the walk I don't know why and the Doctor climbs <laughs> out of it you know and it's on its side like that That's yeah really yeah fun. yeah when it's like, when, whenever you know it's it's always fun to see it's especially in a much better another much better <laughs> episode which is the 11th hour when you see Matt Smith climbing out of the box like, um conceptually yeah journey to the center of the tardis this could have been the weirdest you know the the most psychologically damaging um the scariest doctor who story of all time and it is basically it's it's been handed to somebody who just can't write for shit you know Mm -hmm. um what's the other one he did uh, he did uh, Curse of the Black Spot and oh. Time Heist. Um, Time Heist is quite fun. Which he co-wrote with Stephen Moffat, okay. I believe. Maybe they wrote all the fun bits then. Because um, <laughs> Time Heist does have a few issues. Uh, maybe they were just Steve Thompson's. Steve Thompson, is it? Steve, uh, Steve Thompson, yeah. Yeah, and apparently he wrote some Sherlock as well. And I'm reliably informed they're the worst episodes that's uh, actually not true. Oh. He, he he he's actually written the consensus best episode of the whole show. What? Um, really? Uh, although one has a suspicion, maybe some other people uh, maybe had a tinker. Which episode was it? Uh, the Riken Backfall, which is the episode where, which is for, responsible for the famous cliffhanger in Sherlock, which is when he. Spoiler alert! Jumps off a building. Is that the one that starts with the theft of the crown crown jewels? Yes. God, that beginning was amazing. Where the hell was that imagination in this? <laughs> oh, it's yeah, it, 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 it beggars belief. Um, 
but mean, yeah, the I thing mean, with Journey to the Center, it like it has it it not only does it have these ideas that it's it sucks the fun out of them. Yeah. It, pre- it, it presents them in such an undynamic way. Because I think one of the aspirations of this episode was to make the TARDIS feel like a dangerous place again. And I feel sorry for the director because he's doing, I think, the, I can't remember who directed the story, but I think they're, I'm assuming it's probably a man, to be honest. Um, I think he's trying everything he can to, he, like, he's doing all these weird kind of angles, yeah. uh, these kind of zoom-ins and zoom-outs. He knows how bad this is. <laughs> he's trying hard. Um, um, but he he just doesn't have much to work with. So and You're right, and... you know, you're right. The, 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 the scene set in that weird glowing tree and the scene with the exploded thing all around them, like visually it, it's arresting, mm. but the narrative is so boring that it doesn't matter. <laughs> like... Yeah, and one of the things that I don't like, I mean, other than the fact that it's set in dimly lit corridors all mm. the time, is Space they've models. taken they've taken this beautiful set um which uh, designed by michael pickwood in its first year and i understand that the whole point is that it's been trashed and destroyed but they just made it look really tatty yeah well i'm and, assuming pickwood did he not design the rest of this then uh he would have done yeah well, but he could have designed some bit more exciting corridors than that gordon bennett Gordon Bennett. Um, what I was just, I going to say? I don't, um, know, I don't know what to say about Genesis and Natalis beyond the fact that it is hideously boring and it has no right to be. It should yeah. be the best new series episode. It had the potential to be. I I think I would summarize it as saying if you want to see a more interesting episode that plays with the TARDIS's uh, sense of time. Cash go watch the. Oh, sorry. Go watch the Doctor's Wife. That is. Legopolis. If you, if you want, uh, if you want to see an episode which plays with the 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 uh, the Tardis's sense of space, watch Legopolis, Castrovalva, Flatline. Oh my God! Like Flatline just shows you this dumb brilliantly well doesn't it like crap flat, mm. flatline's so good um and it's not even really set in the tardis is it but it does more fun with the tardis than this does oh. yeah because you as I, as I say you you do you have two things you can really play with with the tardis which is with dimensions and time yeah and this story doesn't really do anything interesting with either of those and every character in this including the doctor and the assistant are tedious I don't want to spend time with any of them. I well, how about we don't and let's move on. <laughs> okay. Hang on. I'm gonna stop there. And that brings us to the end of our, the first part of our commentary for series seven B. Let's call it Jack and Joe discuss series seven B part A. Um anyway, if you want to listen to the rest of our discussion, uh tune in very shortly for the rest of our thoughts. Until then, have a good life.